Hello, my friends. Today, Joel is talking to Tony, the chief strategic advisor of AI Ops at Broadcom. And they discuss how the real value of AI Ops is observations on how IT is impacting your customers. The six critical inputs to analyze what part of the stack is most impacting the customer experience and why technical leaders have to be motivated by growing the people that they manage. All of this right here, right now, on the Modern CTO Podcast. Here we go. This is the Modern CTO Podcast. So I started in IT in 1991. Um, so I've been there a long time uh, doing different things, just like everybody else, right? So um, my first, I guess you'd say, you know, major gig was for FedEx. Um, in their IT division, I worked in the FedEx.com uh, division. And the exciting thing about that, I started I started working in that area around 1998. And the, the thing that was so funny to me, and I still look back and laugh, is we, we just... Going to work for FedEx.com was like you were going to work on some crazy project. No one will ever ship packages on the internet. Who would ever ship packages on the internet? You know, and and that's exactly the way it felt back then. And then uh, I ended up spending about ten years working just in FedEx.com for from software development to operation side for FedEx.com. And then I eventually ended up the by far the best gig that I had in my FedEx world was I was over what they called their reliability engineering team. And so for about three years, um, for for FedEx.com. So for about three years, I worked on the team that was there to protect the reliability of that revenue. So whatever amount of revenue we were making, and it was in the billions, the, the job of this team was to protect it and make the systems reliable. And so um, that's that's actually where I worked on a new methodology all the way back then, about 2009 or 2010s when I worked on it. And um, it, it was sort of creating a methodology for people who are in that world. But instead of just um, creating great operational dashboards and operational metrics, um, we decided to create this, use the same data but bubble it up into customer experience type uh, data. And so it's a, it's a methodology. And then after, after that, for the next few years, I spent some time with the original CA technologies and uh, did some evangelizing on, uh, with our customers of how to use that methodology. And then what it's morphed into now, and now I'm the strategic advisor for the company, but it's a very customer-focused uh, position. So I can, I get, it's like the best job in the world because I literally get to go to our customers and look at their entire landscape using like Broadcom products, but m- more importantly, using any product. So maybe like I have a lot of history with Splunk and App Dynamics, And so I'm able to go in and look at what they have from Broadcom, but then also match it up with their, you know, Splunk or whatever they have. And then I create sort of their whole AI ops architecture. It's easily the best job I've had in my life. It's not even close. So yeah. So is it is it site reliability engineering that you're still doing, or is it AI ops, or are they the same thing? Yeah, that's a that's a great. So if you were to go back and ask me that back in 2010 when I had just come from FedEx.com, I would say that my my thinking and what I do is really focused on site reliability engineering because we did have some of the classic roles at FedEx for site reliability. So we had, you know, a single team, for instance, with hardcore Java developers and hardcore backend developers, as well as network engineers on the same team. And so basically, you couldn't get anything past the reliability engineering team because they knew everything. So if you if you asked me back then, I would say that's what I was more focused on. What I'm more focused on and I'm sort of morphed into, I guess you'd say evolved with what we've been through over the years, is how do you take that same data and make it more customer and business relevant? And so now, as you've heard, people talk about AI ops and observability. So at we have that same thing, of course, at Broadcom, AI ops and trying to get you to a level of observability. But what in my role as sort of the chief advisor for our customers, what I keep trying to keep at the front of their face is don't get caught up 
on the technologies necessarily that drive AI ops and observability. Make sure that you're obsessed with your business observability. So it uses the same tools. It's funny you'd ask that question. I do use the same technologies and tools that I did 10 years ago. But what I'm asking our clients to do is look at what they get from those tools very differently than what we did 10 years ago, if that answers your question. Yeah, actually, when I saw AI Ops, I was really excited to talk with you because yeah. I don't really understand. I mean, I talked to people all day. And when I saw yeah. AI Ops, it was one of the first times I'd ever seen it for your for your prep for your interview. So I was like, you know, I can always Google it, but you're you don't know the people behind, you know, what, you, what you're getting there. So I want to know, like, how do you explain what AI Ops is? Yeah, and I think you'll find, you know, as you talk to people, you'll get sort of different versions of what they think AI Ops is. So when I try to talk to our customers, I try to put it in a 100% real world because I don't want it to come across as an academic, here's what AI ops is. And like I, I saw one thing one time that sort of didn't crack me up. It's okay. But I saw one thing where somebody said, well, the true meaning of observability is based on control theory. And, and you know, you, here's where it falls in the chain and all that. But from the real world perspective, that's not what observability is. Observability is the end result You've got all these monitoring tools, whether they are intelligent monitoring or what I call legacy type monitoring, but you have all these tools and they're all bubbling up this amazing amount of information. Well, once you apply AI engines, some form of artificial intelligence or some form of machine learning, once you apply that to that data, then you start to get things that are very valuable as long as you're looking at them from a business perspective. So for me, when I talk about AI ops and observability, it's three layers. The first layer is, is all of that blah data. It's all the data that's coming from these endless mon monitoring tools, application, infrastructure, network. The next layer is what Broadcom specializes in, which is that AI layer. So as we bring in or ingest all of this disparate data, we have a platform where we then take it and apply AI principles, so machine learning. We look at the data and recognize patterns. That's probably the mo most important. And then we do some AI as far as automation and, you know, like what happens with that data. But by far and large, it's that top level that matters. So after I've applied AI, to all that data, what comes out of that is, I'll use the term observability, but more importantly, I would say the word observations. So if you have the right people looking at that outcome, they will then have what I call truly valuable observations about how IT is impacting their, their customer. And so for me, it gets me really excited because I do see a lot um, and again, I'm not I'm not knocking any academic views of these terms that we're talking about, but I can tell you that in the real world, these terms have two very specific meanings. AI, AI ops applies that machine learning and that artificial intelligence to all this data, and then observability is where we really take what we've learned and apply it to make our business better. I hope that wasn't too much there. I what no. what you asked for, you know. No, I agree with you on the academic thing. I've never once gone through like like academic experience, and then when I go into the real world to do the actual job, it's virtually like it's like introduction to acronyms. Right. <laughs> it's like, right. You know, it's like here's some concepts you'll be learning about when you do the work, exactly. and, and until I get into like some of the private education stuff, like you buy a course from like a practitioner or someone, you know, especially when engineering, like I'd like learn from like Martin Fowler, his books were like very, very specific right. um, and, and good about different uh, programming concepts. But yeah, so what, so right now that's what you're doing at Broadcom. Broadcom's a massive organization. Um, how big is it? Where do you sit in the organization? So I work for the what you would call the AI ops division. So um, that part is in um, what would be enterprise software. And so for myself, my specialty and, and why I'm in the role that I'm in is sort of the things that people sometimes call net ops or AI ops tools. So those a lot of times that boils down into actual tools. So uh, for instance, like at, at Broadcom, you know, in the division that I work in and that I'm a sort of a customer advisor to, we have um, on the application side of AI ops, we have things like uh, application performance manager, 
So, you know, we have the ability to go deep inside of, you know, for instance, Java or .NET code and, and pull out the performance characteristics of the code. So we're on, that's on one side, we're in the application. So we have a dedicated team of system engineers and they know that stuff cold, right? So they, you know, they, they not only know our tool, but if you have them on site, then they'll literally dig in, help you dig into your code, right? So that's on one side. On the other side, we have network and infrastructure capabilities that are just that deep. So, you know, we have the ability to look at network flow, analyze network traffic. Um, we have the ability to look at different infrastructure components in a customer's infrastructure and then bubble all that up into our AI engine as well. So I think that the one thing that really excited me about coming to Broadcom for this specific role that I'm in now is that they truly have the full capability of something that I, I would have been dreaming about 10 years ago. Literally, it would have been a nirvana and I would have questioned if you could have could have done it. But Broadcom has the capabilities now to actually, when I talk about bringing up um, all that data through AI and into like a business layer, the weakness in that methodology back when I first started on it, so if I go back to about 2009, 2010, it had one glaring weakness. The weakness was it was really dependent upon application data. So I had to have data from the application layer, exceptions, errors in the code. Um, and if I didn't have that, I really couldn't produce a customer view. But now it's it's awesome because we have at Broadcom, we have the ability, this sounds crazy, but I, I'm telling you, we do this. We have the ability to tie application data, infrastructure data, and network data, not just to the top layer, what are we doing for the company, but down to the individual steps that our customers take. So that I can't explain how much of a nirvana that is. I'll give you an example. Uh, I'll just go back to like my time at FedEx. One of the main business services that we had, obviously, back especially back in the beginning, was just shipping a package. All right. So that that really boils down when you look at it to just these things. A customer logs into FedEx.com and they tell us what the package size is and where they want it to go from where to where. And then we give them back how much it'll cost and they say, okay, print a label. So I just named off like six steps, right? Where we're at now, we can literally look at each of the six steps in the real time, and I can tell you down to a perfect score how perfect that step is in the real time. So if we have a million customers today, I can literally watch and monitor and see how perfect each step of the customer's experience is, not from what we think from IT. So my role, I would say, if I were to sum it up, for Broadcom as the chief advisor for this space is that I need, I need to help our customers see that they can actually produce that outcome. That's a business outcome. That's not an IT outcome, but my role, I have to show customers they can do that. So it's perfect for me, like I said, because I get real excited about it. Maybe I'm just geeking out or whatever, but I get really, you know, I get so excited about it. And I need to make sure that our customers see it like I do. So help me understand a little bit deeper. Let's take this, continue with your FedEx concept of mm -hmm. the different steps of, of getting the package shipped. Uh, let's pick this, you know, give me one of the steps and tell me the actual like usefulness of understanding that step. Sure. Okay, let's just uh, pick the one where they're shipping their package and they say how much, uh, how big it is and where they want it to go. And then let's pick the step. We literally had this that said customer rate, get, get the customer a rate. How much is it going to cost? All right, so before you use this type of methodology that I'm talking about, the best you could probably hope for is to look at an APM product and find that method, you know, or those methods in the code that actually go and fetch rates. So if I find those methods, then I could sit there and I could analyze all day if those methods are slow or fast. That's about the extent. Like New Relic. I, that's for me, sure. the tool is New Relic, how sure. I would do that. Yeah, I, I've used New Relic. I'm a big user in the past of AppDynamics. And of course, I use Wiley, which uh, back in the day, you know, so now it's it's the... Broadcom APM module, but using them all, you nailed it. That's we're looking for the the performance characteristics of that method. Okay, that is valuable, and it still is valuable to this day. But when you have 
um, like a recent client I worked with, uh, this was a pharma, big pharma, and they had something like, I don't know, 5 million executions of, of a certain set of business code every day. And the idea that someone is going to sit there and analyze all the method performance for 5 million transactions a day isn't realistic, right? So you have to have something that bubbles up real data. So here's how we would do it with what you just said. So I'm going to use the rating. I know, for instance, that and, and this FedEx, I'm not talking about something we did. I'm talking in general here, but I'll yeah. give you an example. I just want to be clear about that. So for that rating, I, I'm going to bring in what I call the six critical inputs. So for rating for a package, I'm going to bring in six things. The first is application error rate. So this is a ratio of how many times in, a, in any given time period, like a time picker, right? So in any given time period, what is the rate of exceptions being thrown in the code? That's number one. Number two is application performance. What is the rate in that same time period? What is the rate of methods for getting a rating a package being outside the third deviation of performance? So they're really outliers, you know, stuff like that. Next, I'm going to bring in the third, which is a synthetic, what I would call a robot. The what is the failure rate for a robot that is constantly polling that same service? Okay, so that's three. Number four, I'm going to bring in specific syslog characteristics. So I'm going to I'm going to go ahead and ingest logs from syslog related to uh, the infrastructure that I'm running this out of. So whether that's uh, cloud or local on premise, and I'm going to pull in, for instance, everything above a two uh, as far as uh, error. So that's number four. Number five. I don't know um, if you've seen, well, I'm sure you have, of course, but um, you know, you've seen how we can now analyze traffic between hop between hop, no matter whether it's internal network or to the cloud. And so I can analyze packet loss and I can also analyze latency for each of the hops. So number five is packet loss. So I'm gonna look, is there any loss on the route, the, the, the path visualization that I'm taking uh, to provide the service of rating uh, because Many times you go to a third party and you have internal components both. I want that number. And then the final, the number six, is latency. So what kind of latency am I experiencing? And what you do is you simply take those six negative, those are all negative. You take those six negative experiences and you subtract them from 100% perfect customer experience. Now, it's juvenile, right? It's elementary math. There's nothing complex about that. but guess what? You can definitely look at the output of that. So let's say that um, I look at the last 24 hours. And in the last 24 hours, when I do the math that I just told you, I can tell you that the customer experience ratio for rating a package is 88%. Well, that's not going to be satisfactory. But if I look now at the six critical inputs and I see that 8% of that number was strictly application performance. Now, as a big organization that's looking at millions and millions of transactions, now I can literally tell, you know, one or two people on the team, we've got to focus on this. So what it does is it really drives them into what's impacting the customer. So in many cases, I've personally found that this mathematics that I'm using or that we're using at Broadcom to implement AI ops, I can tell you it is by far in my 27 years of doing stuff like this, the closest measurement of a customer experience I've ever seen. It's, it, it is by far the closest. And I'm assuming, so I'm going to make a statement and correct me if I'm wrong. Yeah. Your products would have some sort of interesting interface that would understand these business outcomes and then report. Because, like, I was thinking about New Relic, like mm -hmm. I can monitor methods and you know I can check a lot of these individual things. But it's definitely a developer tool. It's not presented in a way that like here's the here's the. Ch I just see it in my head. It feels like I should just see the chain of experience, see the steps, and then see the rates for them. Is that how it is? Yeah, it's nice. Uh, you you nailed the user experience. You you nailed the use case right there. Um, so we have a product that I would, in, in my own vernacular, being a practitioner in the real world, I would call it the aggregation level. So, so for us at Broadcom, it's our AI level. So this is a product called Operational Intelligence or DXOI. So this layer can ingest from nearly anything out there as far as data sources. So you mentioned New Relic, right? So in in my past, I had a lot of AppD. So. If I were producing those two 
metrics that I just told you at the first number one and number two, which is error rate uh, percentage and the third deviation of performance. Those are both negative ratios. Using Broadcom's OI layer, our, our AI ops dashboards, we would just simply ingest those two numbers into our overall business dashboard. And then it would become one of those six critical inputs that we're talking about here. So it's important, in my opinion, um, you know, you just said how you could sit down and look at New Relic, same for myself, we could sit down and look at New Relic and we could see the methods and we could make judgments of of that looks slow to me and stuff like this. What we do is we take it that one step further and we bring it up into an AI level and we apply this methodology I'm talking about for business. And it is just as simple as you said. We don't we don't take this uh, methodology and try to make it real complex. If if I have if I was working with FedEx and I have those six steps and they wanted to get intelligence about those six customer steps, that's all it would be. We would literally outline, like you said, the six steps, and we would ingest and pipe into each of the steps what the score is. And as you know, I mean, once you start producing an accurate score, your whole your whole executive team can key in on that. I mean, you literally can have a conversation with your board of directors. That's why I think it's so important. Who's who's helping me? Like, how does it work? Do, is it like a consultative sale? Mm-hmm. So where you guys actually help under like identify those metrics and find the data and help connect it all? Yeah. And and trust me, that's the most exciting part of this job. So it, let's say that a customer wants to go on that journey with us and they're like, okay, yeah, we, we'll, we'll try this AIOps thing and see how it looks. The first thing we do, and this is a, this is a pivot, okay, from if uh, when you've worked maybe with vendors before in this space, you'll know that one of the first things that happens is you get um, a technical architect. So somebody who's really good uh, at the code level and, and they come in and sort of assess your, you know, your abilities and look at the code level of what you're doing. We certainly will bring in that resource, but the first resource we bring in is what we call an AI ops designer. So it's, it's, it's a, even a higher level view. So we bring in an AI ops design, designer and it's somebody like me who has like, um you know, 20 years of experience with this. So when they come in, they're not just talking about Broadcom products, right? We come in and look at your Splunk installation. We look at your, you know, logic monitor. We look at everything you have. And then we say, okay, how do we bubble all of this, you know, Broadcom tools or not? How do we bubble it up and design your new AI ops from, from a, from a 30,000 foot level? Because I can tell you from my personal experience, when we skip the designer level, when we skip that, we never end up with anything real from AI ops. You end up with some good bells and whistles. You end up with some nice gadgets. But when the CEO or CIO of your company come to you and say, what are we getting out of this? It's hard to show them anything other than these little features and, and whistles and everything. What we do is provide that designer who comes in and says, no, 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 no. Here's where we're going to get you to from a business perspective. And I think if you want to know the truth, that's one of the most valuable uh, partnership things that we provide at Broadcom because, you know, everybody wants to be a partner um, and you want to you want to be a partner to your clients. Well, one, one of the major ways that we do that is we just don't throw product at them and say, hey, good luck on your AOPS journey. We literally bring in somebody who designs your journey for you, and then, and then you can go back and forth with them on, on things that you want to tweak. But we do bring in a senior designer, and it's not a technical position. They're a business designer. So I've gotten to go around and you know meet a lot of the guests that I've had on the show. I've gotten to tour their offices, and inevitably... At all of them, there's a dark room <laughs> with with a bunch of IT people in it, with giant screens on the wall like collections, and it's things like you know Twitter service monitoring for different you know companies that the tools APIs that they're re, you know relying on, notif- all these types of things, you know, uh, server uptime and current CPU usage, all these. So would would this concept like let's say if we were at FedEx with the quality of those six steps would that be something that's like up on the screen yeah and the beauty of it is it's real time so even though you can use like a time picker functionality and say well just show me what the last 24 hours look like you can also you know run real time and let's just watch what the scores are for each of the six steps and then you know it's it's funny you mention that because 
one of the, one of the things that's so important about this methodology is that it is not in any way meant to replace what a company is doing with their individual monitoring tools. It, if anything, this methodology, when it identifies a problem, simply focuses the resources on, let's say, the resource for New Relic. When, when this methodology identifies a problem with the application portion of the customer step, it really does crystallize what your New Relic developer or New Relic engineer needs to go look at. And then the exciting thing is when they make changes, it will show up mathematically on the score. I can't tell you how exciting it is when uh, in my own in my own past working at a company recently, an IoT manufacturer, when we had a perfection score for a customer workflow step that was in the 80s, and we simply used this methodology to identify what was the most important thing to do to improve the customer experience. And I'll just make one up, you know, because it happens a lot. Let's just say that there's a piece of code that's running that is doing, you know, a thousand calls you know, all this chatter, right? When it could just do one call, you know, that, that's just efficiency stuff, defensive coding type things. When you find that with this methodology and you literally go and you roll out your fix, you, you, you release your bug fix. When you make that improvement and your score goes from 88 to 98% because of what you did, now you can quantify why you're important so much on a monitoring side. I struggled many years Proving business value from monitoring data, but now you can actually tie it to your customer experience. It's it's like the best thing. Yeah, as a CTO, I I agree with you. That is awesome. But I think the best thing <laughs> is that if I have those customer journey steps up on my giant screens, and it would be a totally different conversation when the CEO like walks in to talk, because usually they're staring at hieroglyphics <laughs> on the screen, right. but then they can actually see the steps that the customer is going through. And so that would make me like look really good. It, that, that happens all the time. And I'll, I'll tell you, like you said, CEO comes, you're, you're the CTO. He comes in he or she comes in your office and goes, oh, so why, what's going on there with, you know, uh, shipping uh, rating? What, what's going on there? And you you come back and go, well, we've analyzed it. That's AI basically right there telling us that our weakness is in this one specific area, but we've already started fixing it and it'll be released next week. I mean, that's a totally different conversation. And especially when you can marry what you produce from this methodology, you can actually marry it with, let's say you have a call center that handles customer complaints. You can actually marry this data to your call center data. It's It's awesome because then you know that your customer experience that's why i say it's the most accurate customer experience measurement i've ever seen because i have married this data to call center data it's right on the money it's on the money is anyone taking this data obviously you get the score the percentage you talked about the ratios and all of that right. um, and you can see like 88 percent. you can see the changes get it up to 98 percent. is anyone connecting a dollar value to that i mean yeah, and it's different for every company. So one place might say that, um, I'll give you an example. Um, one, the, the pharma company that I was working with had a specific, uh, I guess you'd call it like a distribution system. And they had complaints from one of their clients that they were distributing the pharmaceuticals to. They had complaints about usability of the application that they were required to use. So, um, you know, we made improvements based on this methodology to that specific area that was giving them trouble in the distribution system. It has a financial impact, but you do you would have to literally sit down and see what is the value of that distribution center uh, system, let's say by minute or by hour, what is lost productivity. But I think that math is, that dollar value is pretty easy to calculate um, when you take it to that level. So some of your customers are doing that? I've had a couple that I've worked with over the past three years that took the output from this methodology and moved it into a cash value. So yeah, like a showback. Yeah, that because like I was I, for some reason I'm in that zone of the CEO walking in the room, and I was like, <laughs> how cool would it be? You know, I'm, I'm being like a customer right now. Do you do this? Do you do this? No, but how cool <laughs> would it be to see like a list? of opportunities and be like, oh, here's like, we prioritize, you know, we're working on the million dollar opportunity that'll be out next week. Then we're working on the $700,000 opportunity. It would just seem so cool to, to 
I don't know. It just, I could see myself implementing this feature like incorrectly at first by putting like errors and like giant red negative dollars and then realizing that like that would not be the right way because you wouldn't (laughs) want the CEO to see like that you're losing money. You would rather see them that like you're, you have opportunities. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And it's sort of cool because um, like a couple of customers I've worked with have taken like, I like to look at this as, um, don't come in and try to boil the ocean. So when when I talk with our customers, I don't ever want to present that they should take all their business services and immediately try to get this out there because sometimes that makes things go so slow that you never really see value because it just takes forever. Uh, so what I like to do is I like to go into, you mentioned earlier, is this consultative? And, and yes, indeed, that, that designer role, when we go in with a customer, we like to look at what their big hitters are. So um, example, uh, bank. You know, if you go work with one of the large banks in this country, they're going to have tons of lines of business. But no doubt, they will probably have a lot of interest in their online banking. So that will be a workflow that customers do with them every day that is seriously important to them. So from our vantage point, we would probably just say, why don't we just do a little AI ops journey on online banking, uh, the mortgage part? So, you know, how many customers coming in to do their online banking and convert to a mortgage application. So we literally just pick something that simple and then we'll do this methodology on it. Right. But the exciting thing is when a customer sees so much value from that one chunk that we did that they decide to just simply replicate it all over their company on little chunks of things. So what you end up with, which just is just such eye candy is you get these dashboards where you have this all up view of your company with the business services that you're trying to trying to track. And so to watch it grow is what's really exciting at a company, not just one work stream, but like 10. And then you have an all up view of your company. No, you guys, it's a little bit contagious. I'm, I'm all excited now. <laughs> How did we, we got connected through A and I solutions, right? Yeah. What's the relationship there? Um, obviously, they're a great partner and integrator for us. And as a matter of fact, one of the most exciting things was with A&I. Um, Bill Lavoy was his name. And uh, he, I met him back in maybe 2012, I think it was. And one of the first implementations that we ever did of this methodology. Now, mind you, it's like I said before, it was very dependent back then on application. Now we can go way further than that. But one of the very first implementations ever done was done by a Solutions and um, and Bill. And uh, so I have a soft spot because that was that was like my baby, you know. And it was like, oh, actually watching it be implemented at a client site. So, but yeah, no, great partner, extreme talent. Um, I can certainly speak for my um I guess you'd say work with them is that, you know, we're talking about the best of the best there. Well, so I'm, you know, I'm like entrepreneurial. I like to understand business relationships. Are they like, like a sales arm? Are they sales and consulting? Like, how do they actually, I mean, you say partner mm-hmm. or maybe I'm completely wrong. Like how do they actually interface? How do your businesses interface? Yeah. So um, obviously Broadcom being such a big company and everything, we have different tiers in the way that we approach customers and work with them. Um, and so in the case of a for instance, we do both a sales and a service arm with them. So they represent us when they have customers that are looking for, I'll just pick my space, the AI ops and NetOps solutions. But um, they're also, for me, uh, very critical for the integration arm. So when we have that type of relationship, and let's say a customer decides to go with our full AI ops stack. So they you know, they may have other products and everything, but they decide to go with our full AI stack. Then AI Solutions will be the type of company where we would work with them and they, you know, not just to get the deal done, but to actually do the post-sales implementation. And um, I would say, I'm not saying this is unique, but it is very special that we have AI ops designers that work through and with AI. So in other words, um, this isn't a knock or anything like that on anything, but I've, I've made purchases in my role on the customer side. So when I'm practicing, I've made purchases before of software. And because a company's so big, they send us to a like a partner and integrator. And that's who you end up dealing with. But what happens is I've had where I've lost all contact with you know, maybe the architects of the original software that I was hoping to have. And we don't, we don't, 
we don't have that happen, and especially on this methodology. We we literally provide designers, AOPS designers through our partners. That's pretty neat. Yeah. It's a value add. So like we don't hit, you know, we don't hit our customers up, you know, for for charges for this service. This is how we partner with our customer. We we want to provide them experts in every field. So this is just one of those experts that we provide. I like it. Yeah. Now I have on the notes to ask you about mainframe software. And I was like, did the, my team write that correctly? <laughs> like <laughs> I uh, on the mainframe side, you know, the way that mainframe touches me and what I do and what we do in AI ops is it is, you know, we have mainframe operational intelligence. So we have the ability to pull insights from mainframe. Uh, but for what I'm talking about with AI ops, the most important part of that is that it becomes part of those six critical inputs. So back in, if I go back in the day when I was working at FedEx with a mainframe department. So um, in our, in, from FedEx.com, we would have been more client server. So, you know, Java or .NET based applications. And then from there, we'd hit our databases, but also we'd hit IMS. So we would go back to the mainframes to pull certain things. Back then, um, a lot of the AI type intelligence that we have now was not really available for mainframe. So it really was a black box. Now we can actually, especially with our APM products, we are able to actually go all the way back in through the mainframe and come back out with performance characteristics. So there's no possible way that, well, I, I shouldn't say that. I, I, I think it's extremely unlikely now that any problems happening on the mainframe would not show up in the six critical inputs and would not show up in the calculation of perfection. So I, I find I, I haven't seen anything yet where I don't see that show up in the measurement. I'm going to ask you a silly question. I mean, there's no silly questions, but it'll definitely um, show you my age here. But, <laughs> okay, so mainframes. I'll tell you what my understanding, they're like really old computers and they're still very operational because I talked to somebody who actually listened to the show and they reached out to me and they were they were taking over a role at a company that has like a mainframe farm and they like, I think a lot of financial software was still using that, even credit card processing stuff. I was blown away. You When you were using it just now, it almost sounded like you were using it as like a brand name I really don't know, like, what's the difference between a mainframe and the in a computer? Is it a brand? Can you help me understand this better? Yeah, and I'm not a mainframe specialist, so I won't be the best person to answer it. But just in general, if you were to go back to back when I started in IT, a mainframe would be the way, let's say it was provided by IBM. So they they bring in these huge mountainous, you know, mainframe computers. And the reason that you would want to go with them was because of their bulletproof nature, extremely reliable, run over and over transactions, unbelievable amounts of transactions and never never really run into trouble. And so um, there was a time where you would say you couldn't get into a production data center if you weren't a mainframe, right? So you, you have all these characteristics that have been around forever. I think what maybe has changed, and mainframes are still out there and I'm sure they always will be. And that's that's why you mentioned uh, you, you uh, like bank transactions and how they still go to the mainframe. It, I can certainly appreciate that you have um, maybe less uh, less worries at night over systems going down when they go back to a mainframe because they're so bulletproof. I think the thing that maybe has changed in the past 15 years or so has been when you come down to a server class machine, uh, especially now with virtualization and the cloud. It doesn't it doesn't do away with the need for mainframes, but it does complement the fact that now all of us can do computing of any nature without having to make that kind of investment. So think about what we can all do right now, for instance, in AWS or GCP. We can all go out there and create these really powerful compute cycles that we can run our applications on. So um, I think I think when you have a mainframe specialist on, they're going to really give you the rundown of why it's so important. But I never worked in mainframe myself, <laughs> so I can't tell you that. All right, great. So I'm not too far off then. I think one of the things when I was talking with this uh, fellow was uh, I, what I gathered from it, like intangibly was that it's like a, there's like a suite of tools and a whole ecosystem that that all kind of runs together with these giant physical like IBM 
machines. Um, and that's, you don't necessarily find all of those same things in computers, but we'll get a mainframe specialist on and we'll get to the bottom of this, Tony. Yes, We're going to figure it out. <laughs> absolutely. But hey, Broadcom's one of the biggest providers of mainframe software. I've just not made it over to that side yet. So are, are you like currently professionally, are you, are you individual contributor helping with this type of stuff or are you running a team? For right now, um, my role is Chief Strategic Advisor, and so it's sort of a, a, a role where I'm working, I guess you'd say, across. At Broadcom, we're very flat, which is a wonderful thing. So we work together regardless of titles or anything like that. But what I am doing is I'm sharing and have been sharing the methodology that we provide in um, our AI layer, sort of sharing how I go with customers and, and work with them to, to make that as beneficial as possible. So at Broadcom, we're growing this org. And so um, over the next actually six months, I think we're probably going to increase the number of designers, you know, probably by threefold and, and really maybe attack the market a little bit more, not from a sales perspective, but from an education and, and here's the art of the possible. You know, a lot of times, to be honest, when I go and meet with a client and maybe they're, they're just starting to think about AI ops and what it can do. When, when you present sort of those six critical inputs I mentioned, and when you present what a dashboard and a, you know, a, a strategy would look like, it's a little bit foreign because, you know, a lot of times a customer might think that if they have APM, you know, any form of APM, they may think that they already have customer experience. And certainly you do have some customer experience from an APM or a RUM tool, any of those. You certainly have some. The difference is, is that this methodology doesn't stop with application. It brings in both network and infrastructure metrics. And that's what makes it so different. The granularity of what I can discover or observe, just to stick with the term, the granularity of what I can observe now using this methodology is unreal compared to where it used to be. So that's why I think, you know, like I said, in the next few months, we're really going to maybe maybe hit the market harder to share. This is just, you don't have to do it, right? We just want to share it with you. So that's why I was so excited about today, right? Because the, yeah. the number of followers that you have, it's a chance for me to at least say, this is why we want to come show you. And then, um, you know, it's sometimes even if you're really good, at what you're doing. Like I, I can think back to my days at FedEx, that team, uh, that reliability engineering team that I had was the most brilliant. They they did everything it seemed right. But you know what? They also in, invited in like, I don't know, like Amazon's engineers and they just benchmark. Nobody's right or wrong. We're just benchmarking. That's what we want to do for our customers. Let, let us share this. Um, let us share this AI vision that we have. And if it doesn't work for you, no big deal, but at least we share it. Yeah, this type of media is incredibly useful for getting information out. You guys have, do you have like a YouTube channel where you're sharing this type of stuff? We do. We actually have um, um, our CMO for um, the enterprise software division is actually putting out, I think uh, they've already taped it like this week. So I'm excited to see the final, but um, we'll have out on YouTube um, a, like a three minute um, I guess you would call it like a one-pager uh, video of what BSR, this methodology, and our AI ops, what this can do for our customers. So anyway, when that comes out, I'll make sure I get you the link because I'm hoping people have a chance to spend just that three minutes to hear sort of the high level. I think I think we've covered a lot like what we've talked today, but um, our CMO really put a lot into making that that film. So I'm excited about it. Yeah, let me know. Send it over to us and uh, Adam can make a note of that and we can make sure that we post it on the show page when it comes out. That's awesome. Cool. I want to talk a little bit about leadership. Well, you know, our, our whole mission here, educate, entertain, and elevate like the next generation of technology leaders. So um, you've gotten very far in your career. You're a wealth of knowledge uh, for an an engineer looking to take on some more management responsibilities, looking to move up uh, in their career, what comes to mind as far as like how you would give them advice or insight? Uh, so when I think back, so in the 27 years, probably, you know, 19, 18, 19 of them were with staff. So people manager, right? So what you're sort of talking about on the management side. So if 
if I were to give advice on moving toward that goal, especially in a technical field, I would go back to my time uh, at FedEx, where a lot of that was spent leading teams. And probably the biggest thing is um, I had a, a mentor of mine there tell me, if you decide to go into management, technical management, just make sure that you're doing it because you want to help grow the people that will be reporting to you. And don't think that it's anything about you or, or, or like that. I thought that was really astute because, you know, I mean, it's sort of hard to be ambitious and not think some about yourself. But I thought it was astute that he told me, look, you need to remember, these people are going to be looking to you for leadership. They're going to probably come to you for advice and they're going to want, you know, to, you to have their backs, protect them, you know, just from the corporate politics or anything like that. And so when I went into that, that and with that mindset, I just found myself really focusing like on that reliability engineering team that I said all those, those uh, men and ladies were so brilliant. Well, you know, there's a responsibility that comes, to, comes with that. You know, my focus was on, you know, what what is bothering them every day? What what do they need to make them feel like they're advancing? And you make mistakes, to be honest. You know, you you think that you're doing it right and you're going to make mistakes. But if you can keep focused on that, that your people are what matters, then you'll do fine. Because without a doubt, I think all of us know this. You're only as good as your people. If you If you think you're great and if you think you've got it all figured out, and then you don't take care of your 10 direct reports and they don't do what they're supposed to do and they're not able to or they're demoralized, you, no matter how great you think you are, you failed and it'll show. I like how direct you are. <laughs> <laughs> it's good. I, I enjoy direct people. Uh, I was talking with Aaron Suzuki. This What you said made me think of this. Uh, he's a founder of Smart Deploy. They do like... Um, how do I describe it? Like they like they solve the problem of like deploying endpoints at scale, like automation, like you know, provisioning machines, imaging machines, things like that. When we were talking, we were discussing you know open communication between IT and other departments. Um, at first, I wasn't going to ask you about it because you were in your current like evangelist type role or, or consulting type role. Um, but then you said you had like seventeen years of managing people and working with them. Have you ever had a situation? where you know there's not great communication between IT and other departments and if so like how did that get resolved yeah i mean that's a common theme um for sure and so um there've been plenty of times where i've had that happen um direct d- direct communication is probably the biggest thing so um i'll think of an example here um we had a user group at one company I worked with. So these were the, the people who did the requirements for a particular system. This was a customer service call center. So call center software. And so the user group would provide the requirements to a development team. The development team would go build them and bring it back for user acceptance testing, and then they'd release it. The um, when, when I had a leadership role over part of the development team, what I would hear uh, pretty consistently is, I just don't understand that those users, that user group, they certainly don't, they're not in close in, t- in touch with our customer. They don't get it, you know, so a lot of negativity, right? And then when I went and had a chance to talk with the manager of the user group, what she told me at the time was, you know, we, we love your team and everything, but we feel like there's a communication gap. You know, sometimes we don't, we don't really get what we ask for, you know, that type of thing. So um, of course, Direct communication is a big believer in that. And so at the time, you know, that that user group represented what you would call the call center uh, population. So, um, I mean, this could be a little bit wacky. I don't know. But but one of the things that I chose to do then is of all of our development team, we took uh, a couple of days out of a week and we all went and put on our headset and we sat with customer service and we watched them use the product we were building, not just like cursory, but we literally sat there and watched them. And then we listened to the calls. And when there was a problem like uh, with the software not responding quickly enough, we got to see the agent sweat because they've got the customer on the phone and they're going, well, I need a minute. My computer's and, you know, I think when we did that, we had a lot more sympathy for what our user group was going through. And then instead of this, um, I mean, as you know, you're, you're doing your best to never have this. You should never have where you're on the same team, but you're sort of 
hitting heads all the time. You should be working in some form of a tandem. And so I think after we did that and we walked in their shoes, we were a little bit more understanding. And then that helped us to create a better product, if you want to know the truth. We did better with our product after we saw people using it on on that intimate level. Yeah, I actually, when I was talking about that uh, real estate product I made, because I was in the office and like building this and seeing that I, that was one of my first experiences. And so when I went to do it next, after I had had some success and made money, I did it in, an, in a chamber and then it fell flat. <laughs> and I realized the reason why it didn't work this time is I wasn't sitting next to someone who had a problem and I wasn't getting that like emotional satisfaction of like resolving their tension or helping yeah. them do what they need to do to bring them value. Uh, and then, so that's how I learned that lesson. And I've never, never repeated that mistake again. Uh, getting, getting closer and closer to the customer is always, I mean, that's not to go back to the, uh, you know, the AI ops thing, but when we use this methodology, our whole goal here is to get closer to the customer. What what are they really experiencing? Because I can't tell you how many times I've been to visit a customer and they show me, like you said, those dashboards in that dark room where everybody sits, mm-hmm. you know, has, we all love it. But I can't tell you how many times I've gone to those rooms and looked up and and all I see is green and 99.99. And then my next meeting, my very next meeting is with an executive saying, so what, how do we improve customer experience? And I, I just chuckle inside because all the, it was 99.9 perfect on everything. So why do we even have a customer experience problem? It's because we're not close to what the customer is doing sometimes. Oh, that's good. That's that That hits home to a lot of people listening right now. Yeah. It happens. And I mean, I've probably been guilty of it myself, especially going back before I really embarked on this journey. You know, you want your numbers to be good. You want you want to show goodness, but it doesn't matter that much if you show goodness and your customer's still complaining about you. Yeah. You guys work with companies of all sizes? We do. Absolutely. Yeah. We, we, you know, we, we tear that up. And a lot of times that's where our partners come into play more. So, you know, if, if uh, we get down to a smaller company, you know, maybe we engage a partner to work with us. But even with the smaller companies, we share and use the same methodology. And we, uh, I don't care how big or small, it, even in some ways, even a small company might need this more, you know, because they're so, you know, they're trying to grow their business. And and they need to be really close to what their customers are experiencing with them. So, um, but no, the answer to your question is absolutely. And that's why I mentioned before that even, you know, if we work with one of our partners, an integration partner, we still provide this AI ops designer. So we want whoever they are, we want them to try to, to look at the AI ops journey from the Broadcom standpoint, which is definitely more customer and business focused. Thank you so much for listening. And if you found this episode useful, please share it with a friend or a colleague who you think would get value from it. And if you have topics that you'd like to hear discussed on the podcast, either add me on LinkedIn or send me an email, joel at moderncto.io. Every time I get an email or LinkedIn message, it absolutely makes my day and inspires me to keep going.